श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की ग्रंथराश्रीमद्भागवतम After which, for a couple of verses, he speaks a little more directly. Um, in terms of philosophical instruction. And more along the lines of how we'd spoken earlier in the section, he concludes the verse by recapping the essence of the narrative of his own life that he has spoken thus far, which will be furthered in the next chapter, as I've mentioned. Um, as Vyas inquires to know more about his extraordinary life. And so, tonight, we come to some brief discussion of Prem. Actually, it started, I think, in the previous class. So, one, two, three, plan. Hmm. It's three verses that, uh, in a way, speak about the praying that Nara had attained. We've been discussing these verses in terms of how they speak to us about the different stages of bhakti, from Shraddha to Prem. A nice statement in Bhagavatam by Kapila. What does he say there? Satam prasanga mumavira sambhido bhavanti vitkana rasayana kata tad joshana dashva bhavarga vartmani shradhadati bhakti manukkana shati. We see this here. He's basically saying that that satam prasanga, by the association of the devotees, satam is another word for devotee that means truthful. Um, in their company, my virtues are always sung. Uh, they act like a rejuvenating elixir that uh, springs from their hearts on the dancing on their tongues and leaps into the ears of the unsuspecting in that in their midst, enters into their hearts, and step by step, Shraddhadati Bhaktam Anukram. Step by step, they take one from Shraddha to Tarati and and Prem. So we see this here. This is basically the centerfold of all of his uh, progress. Then is the Sadhu Sangha that he received during the months of the rainy season. So tonight he says, Tasyaiva me nuraktasya prashritasya hatainasaha. I was very much attached to those stages. So this Anuraktasya, uh, um, this is where Vishwanath Chakrabhita draws Prem out of this uh, verse. This is the word he must refer to. Hmm. Nara is saying that I was very, I had a spiritual attachment hmm. to, uh, and here it is based on the sages and of course what the sages are all about. Hmm. And um, that drove away all, all the results of sins and um, full of faith um, for them and what they had to say. Uh, my senses were subjugated and uh, I strictly followed them with body and mind. So the implication is here is called absorbed in everything that they were about. Hmm? 
ज्ञानम गुयातुमम यथत सक्षत भगवतो दितम अनवोवा अन अनवोवा अनवोचन कमिष्यंता कृपया दिनवत्सवा here it's mentioned in an interesting way that as they were departing basically he says as a parting note they passed on systematically transcendental knowledge to me so the emphasis here has been the magic if you will of sadhu sangha the magic as we heard of prashad which he took with their remnants with their permission and so on and so forth and uh, there's not much emphasis here on a systematic education sometimes the guru is thought to be as a teacher and that aspect that side is certainly there he or she should be as it said well versed in the shastra shabde parejanishnatam brahmanupashamashayam well versed in the in the shastra and spiritually situated both hmm? um if we were to have to settle for one over the other we would settle for her spiritually situated even if he or she was not that well versed in in teaching all the sacred texts but that's for useful obviously for answering questions for clearing doubts and so on and so forth but it's not the be all and end all sometimes people think in today's world well what is the need of the of the guru we now this information is readily available you can get the book on the internet previously it was just held by a few people who were hand copied the book and it was the it was the monopoly of the priestly class and so forth you had to go to them and so they made a living and uh, things have changed so what's the need of the instructor this kind of thinking betrays a kind of a misunderstanding of the nature of the knowledge that is being uh, transmitted here we study the gita we see it as this is a special kind of knowledge it comes through a special special channel mm-hmm. and um, it's not the kind of knowledge that is to say that you go out and just collect on the strength of your um, mental or intellectual prowess as we do other types of knowledge and then file that away and use it for our purposes as we see fit no it is a kind of knowledge that has an agenda of its own we're used to making knowledge part of our agenda it has an agenda of its own and we are on that agenda so this is very dramatically different it's a living kind of a knowledge and um we are if we are to know it we are serve it not to use it for our lower purposes but to rise above the, the small minded purpose that we've arrived at to take us beyond that and so forth so it's the kind of knowledge that's to be served and the agent of that and naturally um as well indeed the serving attitude is required is, is a little bit difficult to acquire in relation to the book knowledge the person bhagavatam referred to the book bhagavatam for example the first bhagavatam gives us the opportunity to, to practice the serving aspect so the sages magic if you will the magic of their good association the magic of bhakti without understanding the implications he was a child hmm? what could he understand about philosophy it's so what the implication is unless he advanced he made so much progress and so so the idea is that such is possible mm-hmm. bhakti has this inherent power that supsita bhakti hearing chanting so forth serving the vaishnavas has inherent power so this has been stressed that kind of power the magic if you will of spirituality mm-hmm. that um by which it uh, it transmits itself whether we are aware of it or not by which it bypasses our intellect that filter through which we we uh, make everything pass and 
And if it doesn't pass through the filter, the test of our intellect, we don't accept it and so forth, it has a way of going anyway. That's our good fortune. Entering into the heart, retiring the intellect. This is the way in which Nara has presented the case thus far. And again, as I said the other night, there certainly is a place for someone again. And so now, as a parting word, <laughs> they filled him with someone again also. Uh, so here at least, there's an emphasis on the one side. Uh, both sides are there. And we see many examples, of course, of people who, who really they don't have much sort of sangha either, but they hear about bhakti, they take up bhakti, maybe they take up bhakti as a family religion or something like that, and the chanting of the holy name, and they go and chant and visit the temple and so forth, but they don't have any sambandhagyam, they never heard from a sadhu really, and so they don't know the difference between Durganam and Krishnanam and, and so forth, and they may commit namaparada to without that sambandhagyam, their progress is, is stifled. This is very common time of Bhakti Vinod amongst uh, Gaudiya people followers of Chaitanya and so forth they had no real knowledge of um, the Siddhanta and so forth the Tattva and Rupa Goswami of course has said uh, early on in his dissertation on Sadhana Bhakti that one who is whose uh, whose faith is in, is supported, reinforced, fortified by scriptural knowledge is better equipped to tread the path. He is an uttam adhikar. His eligibility adhikar is supreme if he or she is well-versed in the sacred texts. If they are shastranipun, if they have some, some taste, it implies some ruchi for the subject matter. They can reason about it in such a way as to understand its essence and so on and so forth. So, there's some place for hearing all this and now it's been brought up, it's been mentioned. And, and this is the kind of knowledge, it's very clear from the text. It says here that jnanam guyatamam yatat. So, ganishanta upon departing, as a departing word, they fill him up with jnanam guyatamam. What kind of jnan? Because we're often emphasizing bhakti over jnan, bhakti over jnan. Even the other night we said jnan shunya bhakti, bhakti with uh, devoid of jnan. And here the word jnanam is mentioned. So when we... Generally, when we speak of jnana, we speak of jnana as a path unto itself that is at all, that it all appreciates bhakti, it's by putting her in a secondary position and so forth. Um, uh, but there is a, there is knowledge that goes with bhakti also. Um, it has its place, and it has its place in a, in a sense to a point. We need to understand that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead if we are to forget that he's the Personality of Godhead and enter into a loving relationship with him. Krishna says in the Gita, Aham sarvasya prabhava ata sarvam prabhartate Know me, Arjuna, everything comes from me. I am the Supreme Personality of Godhead. By knowing this, then you become capable of doing bhajan, you can do that kind of Raga-samandita that is the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavas where there is a forgetfulness of the godhood of Krishna. This is the jnana. Even the knowledge of his godhood is eclipsed by love. But in order to get there, Generally, some tattva is useful. Hmm? If, I've often said, you know where you can repose your loving propensity such that it will not meet with frustration in that the object 
in which you repose the love is not one that's here today and gone tomorrow or incapable of completely taking all that you might have to give, then you're in a good position to be a kind of giver that the Bhagavatam advocates. So this means Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. That's why this is so important in Bhagavatam. Prabhupada more or less said this sutra, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, over and over and over again. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He writes like that. He more or less saying, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So this is the, the key, the Paribhas Sutra, the Bhagavatam, the key to unlocking the tattva of the Bhagavatam, and by understanding the implication of the tattva of the Bhagavatam, we are in a good position to taste the bhava, the rasa, Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? So there is some emphasis here. And so what kind of jnana then? He says, jnanam kuyatamam. Kuyam means secret. Okay. There is a common knowledge in this world that from the spiritual perspective from the perspective of Vedanta is ignorance knowledge of how to acquire and uh, improve your material situation and so on and so forth secret knowledge on the other hand or uncommon knowledge it's not the uh, the property of most people it's not what they teach in in the universities and so forth, is the knowledge of the difference between the self and matter, hmm? and how to experience that. This is secret knowledge. But here, it's not said that they gave him secret knowledge. That may have come to some extent, but they were emphasizing tat more than tom. There's a famous Vedic Vedanta aphorism, Tattomasi. The, the jnanis who are really focused just on the, this kind of knowledge, this uh, kind of primary Vedanta 101, if you will, the difference between self and matter, the oneness between the self as a unit of consciousness and Brahman. They like this statement, Tattomasi. They translate it, you are that. You are that. In the Gita we find some, the first six chapters of primarily knowledge about you, Tvam. And the second six chapters, beginning with chapter seven, begins the knowledge, emphasis on the knowledge about that, or better translated, him. <laughs> hmm. His, you are his. That makes more sense than you are that. Hmm? How can you be that? <laughs> Is the idea you are that? Hmm. It's uh, it's kind of doing it with you, uh, as those type of jnanis like to do. But it's it's as. Um, plausible or credible, if not more so, to translate it, you are his. This is how Mahaprabhu heard it. When he came to Keshava Bharati to take sannyas, he was a little concerned for a moment about the mantra he would receive. Tattva Masi and its common understanding. And so I believe it was Mari Gupta, who the classmate and scholar himself, a little older than Mahaprabhu, whom he turned to and and Murari said to him, think of it like this when he gives you the mantra, you are his. And oh, Mahaprabhu liked that very much, so then he said to Sarvabham, or Keshava, Keshava Bharati, his sannyas guru, is this the mantra that you're going to give me? Tattvamasi. And he initiated the Keshava Bharati then, with the Vaishnava conception of this mantra. And Keshav Bharati, of course, lit up and said, yeah, that's the one, right, <laughs> just like that. Atonasi, you are his. So, here it is said, the confidential knowledge, and not only confidential knowledge, which is 
the knowledge that's not common in this world about the difference between the self and the body, the oneness of the jiva with Brahman. Hmm? But that is really only the polar opposite of materialism. So think about it. How uncommon is that? How how secret is that? You can almost deduce it, right? And people like Socrates just about have, hmm? with some good, you know, thinking, for example. But if we were to say, and I often give lectures, as you know, <laughs> and, uh, and especially to the general public, it's, I find it rather easy to bring them from the idea of identifying with matter as a self to identifying with the Atman, consciousness as self. And then you have to make small of material names and forms that are here today and gone tomorrow, and the experiencer is more important than the experienced, and matter is only animated because of the self within it, attached to it, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's not hard for people to follow that. And, but then you have to go a little further and say, and then, of course, then there are the forms that are not here today and gone tomorrow. And then there's, we're talking about detachment. Here, the brain is characterized by attachment. So now you're going to talk about attachment, and you just made a case for detachment and so forth. So this makes the head spin then. So to say that you're different from matter, and then to say that you're in your one with the Godhead, you're one with your source, consciousness, and then to say, but you're different also, and this is really uncommon knowledge. So this is the kind of knowledge that's talked about here. Gu, not guyam, but gu yuktamam. Utam guyam. It's supremely uh, confidential. Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam. says it in another way. In a few places in the Gita, Krishna uses this term. Guhyatamam. It's the kind of knowledge that he gave uh, Arjuna. This is the knowledge about Bhakti. Here it is said, Sakshat Bhagavatodijam. It's the same knowledge that comes directly from Bhagavan. The implication is from Bhagavan Sri Krishna to Brahma. Hmm? This is the Narada Bhagavatam. This is Narada giving the Bhagavatam to Vyas, who will pen it and so forth. And, and so, as they said many times, it's been given over and over again. It's an ongoing, going, growing thing. It's about the life of, of Bhagavan. So, we say originally it was given from directly from Bhagavan to, to Brahma in four verses. So, the same, Narada is the mental son of Brahma. So, I got it from Brahma. Brahma got it directly from Narada. I'm giving it now. Uh, Brahma got it directly from Krishna. Narada says, now I'm giving it to you, Vyas. Sakshad Bhagavato Ditam Gyanam Guyatamam. It is the knowledge about Shuddhavakti. Hmm? Ultimately, it comes to the knowledge of Brajbhakti. We find Narada stops a little short of that, as per his fate as per, per, per his destiny, hmm? as a, as a Vaidhi-bhakta. Hmm? That's a beautiful thing, also. Hmm? But Bhagavatam, of course, goes there and goes beyond there as well. Hmm? And that is truly, then, the beyond there, the Guyatamam, hmm? the most confidential knowledge. So, they, anyway, they taught Narada about all these Things. They gave him some Bandagyan. Hmm? And this is very, um, very useful. I guess you can say that, I like to say that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very powerful. And so he said very little, and by his actions he, he completely changed people, transformed them. We don't have as much power, we have to say more. Hmm? <laughs> Explain more. <laughs> Something like that. Hmm? Of course, again, the other side of it is that devotees never have enough to say about Bhagavan. Hmm? There's a Vedanta Sutra aphorism, Ikshateyarnashad, but Shankar takes it to mean that the absolute uh, Brahman cannot be spoken of, and the devotees take it to be 
the absolute cannot be spoken enough of. You cannot say you can never, words can never do justice. Does not mean we should be quiet about him, but we should never stop speaking about him. They'll never do justice. We have the mouth, we have the tongue. This is its purpose. Hmm? So they shared this kind of knowledge with him. He says, Kripaya Dina Vatsala. Hmm? This is the position of the devotees. Hmm? Uh, Jiva Goswami makes it a point in his Bhakti Sandarbha that Bhagavan Sri Krishna is absorbed in praying. And uh, that praying makes him, to some extent, unconscious of his position as the personality of God. His omnipotence, his omniscience is, uh, is um, uh, suppressed in the face of the love of the inhabitants of Vrindavan. This is where he's absorbed. He has no direct experience of the suffering in the material in the material world. He hears the prayers of his devotees. Hmm? Those are very serious devotees. <laughs> and he comes from Braj to this world for them, for those sadhakas who need to take birth in his leela in order to perfect themselves. That's why he comes to the world. Paritranaya sadhunam. For this purpose, he hears that kind of sadhaka's prayer. Bhavabhaktas, as we heard, they are also sadhakas. And Prembhaktas, who now, in order to fully develop their brain from Surupsiddhi to Vastusiddhi, they need to take birth where Krishna's Vila is, so he brings his Vila for that, for them. He hears them, so how much does he wake up from, from that? Uh, that uh, being under the influence of his devotee's love and forgetting about his omniscience, not too much. Hmm? Enough to hear from devotees who are just about ready to, to join him. This is who he comes for. This is, and just, just drawing the miscreants and so forth, this is all secondary. This is the Vishnu in him. Hmm? It's said that empathy will be, capacity for empathy will be enhanced, measure to which one has proximity to the suffering. If one has suffered oneself, or is close to one who is suffering, hmm, it's easier to be empathetic and show compassion for them. Krishna is far removed from the suffering of material existence. So, Jiva Goswami has made the point that the primary agency then of his mercy for the suffering humanity, hmm? this is those who have not attained Kleshagni, <laughs> this aspect of sadhana bhakti that destroys suffering, it means it destroys attachment, which is the cause of suffering. You can some difference between suffering and pain, perhaps if you're externally conscious for Krishna conscious purposes, then you can perceive the pain, but suffering is another thing. So, anyway, those who are suffering in material existence, the primary agency through which Krishna shows his kripa is those same devotees who he himself comes for, who aren't suffering, other than out of hangs of separation for him, he says. I appear before them. What does the Gita say? The Chatur Shlok? Evam 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 Kampa Jnanadipena Vashvata Like the shining lamp of knowledge I come and show compassion on them. Those who are suffering in the low tide of, of separation. It's so nice, the description of praying that we heard this morning, for example, of the, like high tide and low tide of union and separation. It's the way the world works, isn't it? There's a high tide and low tide. We thought we blew up the batteries and Gore, you know, is turning a wider shade of pale. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, 
looking into the batteries then as we had to. Found the solution. Now we're riding the high tide. <laughs> thinking the problem has been solved. And there will be another problem. <laughs> as low as the lows, that it's as high as the highs. Yeah, as high as the highs get, to sure there'll be lows. So it's like a great ocean. And frame is like that as well. It's so readily understandable, even though we heard about it, it's ununderstandable. Our experience is not that far. We're kind of like off-centered in our loving propensity, but it has uh, much the same structure, if you will. Hmm? So, for those who are uh, suffering in material existence, then advanced devotees whose only suffering is the pangs of separation from Krishna, they become the agency of compassion hmm, and mercy for the suffering animation, suffering humanity. They have some remembrance, like a dream of how, how bad it is. Hmm? They can chuckle at it sometimes. I can see Prabhupada chuckling as he reads, mm-hmm. looks at the pictures in the fifth canto, mm-hmm. the hellish conditions. But <laughs> you think, he's laughing at that. <laughs> it's a philosophical kind of a laugh, but his heart is filled with compassion for them. Therefore, he's printing such books and making such effort and so on and so forth. So, such uh, devotees, they are the Kripa Shakti of Bhagavan. Through them, he, he shows compassion. We can say through Mahaprabhu, but that is through one side of Mahaprabhu. And that is, of course, Mahaprabhu is Krishna acting as a devotee. And he's coming through Mahavishnu. Mahavishnu is compassion. This is the, pretty much the measure of his, his love, compassion, because he presides over a world of suffering. He's a particular face of Narayan that presides over a world of suffering, so he has proximity to it, so he shows compassion. And the avatars come through him. So Mahaprabhu's one side is as a Yuga avatar. It was that of compassionate way to call him and so forth. So he comes, and as a devotee, he's called Mahavadanyaya, Avatara, and for two reasons, of course, because he's, he's doing the work of the Yuga Avatar, he's giving, he's compassionately seeking to deliver the people, but of course he is who he is, so he's not just the Yuga Avatar, he's Sakshad Hari, Sakshad Bhajandananda and Krishna himself, and he's got something that nobody else has, no other Avatar has. Prema Madhurya. Prema Madhurya is not the quality of Narayan. It's not the quality of Ram. It's not the quality of Brahman, Kurma, Matsya, any other avatar. Hmm? It's the quality of Krishna. He has, what, four such qualities. Prema Madhurya. Rupa Madhurya. means sweet kind of love. Sweet kind of form. Venu Madhurya. Narayan doesn't hold a flute. You think, looks not like Krishna. Where's the flute? <laughs> and what are those two extra arms for? No flute. And that flute is so sweet. What tune it plays. How it charms the hearts of the gopis. Prema Madhurya. Prema Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, Venu Madhurya, and Lila Madhurya. Such sweet leelas. Hmm? These are the qualities of Krishna, only Krishna. So with regard to the Krishna, Prima, Pradayate, Rupa Goswami reason, he's Mahabhadanyaya, he's the most merciful, because he's giving mercy to anybody and everybody. It's Kali Yuga, to the most impious people. And what, what kind of mercy is he giving? Well, what has he got? This is Krishna, so he has to give it what he's got. Hmm? So Krishna Prima Pradayate. 
He's giving Krishna brain. What else is Krishna going to give? Mukti? This is Krishna. What did he give Putana? Patsalya rasa. So this is what he gives. This is how the Goswami's reason. He must be Krishna. He's giving Krishna brain. He's not Narayan. He must be Krishna. Krishna praying without pay. Now you take these two things together and you take, if you take the highest thing, Ujvala Rasa, Prema Madhurja, and you give it to the most qualified people, that makes sense, right? But if you give the highest thing to the most unqualified people, then it's really madness. Mm -hmm. That is the full measure then of mercy. This is the kind of lineage that we become and so we find some compassion in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm? but in relation to his being uh, the, the Yuga Avatar hmm? means coming on at the call of, of Advaita who is Mahavishnu who has, has proximity to the suffering animation shows compassion to them so, but then it's a special kind of mercy that comes nonetheless hmm? But anyway, idea is that some extended, if you will, form of Krishna, and primarily his devotees. These and these must be, as per Jiva Goswami's writing in Bhakti Siddhartha, Sadhana Siddhas. Because they have, says they have some dream, some you know, slight remembrance about how bad it is to be attached, or they see it, and then they remember it. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Wow. Hmm. It's like walking around with a ball and chain, mm. kind of from the perspective of a free man in the free free world. <laughs> Tough. So uh, uh, these kind of devotees, then they are the agency. So he met these type of devotees. This is the Kripa Shakti of Bhagwan. I remember standing next to Prabhupada, as I used to do, for his Bhagavatam classes, and on his right side there, and uh, he said one day. And so, the spiritual master is the incarnation of Krishna's mercy. It just like really shook me. Like I'm standing next to Krishna's mercy. This is this is how Krishna's mercy manifests in form. Wow, so that was just a fascinating idea. Sanard hmm? uh, had that good company. It says, "Kripaya dina vatsaha." Kripaya by the causes mercy, dina vatsaha. For the fallen people, like me, he's, he's remembering, as we know, for, as he began this story, in my in a previous life, in a previous day of Brahma, hmm? I was born. I had a low birth. Hmm? I had. Uh, I was not in a real highly qualified kind of a situation, and they came to me anyway. Hmm? So this side has been emphasized throughout us, as I their mercy. Hmm? And this is the last part of the installment of the mercy. They gave, they flooded him with Sambandagyan, hmm? his secret knowledge to, to fortify his, his brain, I guess you can say. They'll give, it, give him, they, they've given him the capacity to be the Narada that he is, who is giving this Sambandagyan everywhere. Hmm? Such a great spokesperson. Mm-hmm. of bhakti is Narada. Hmm? This is the story, how it happened to him. Yenai vaham bhagavato vasudevasya bherasaha mayanu bhavam abhidam yena gachanti tatpadam By that confidential knowledge, I could understand clearly, influ- clearly the influence of the energy of Lord Krishna. Hmm? the creator, maintainer, annihilator of everything, and knowing that, I could return to him personally, meet him. Hmm? So he's, he's giving a very basic outline of Sambandagana. I understood about the Shaktis of Bhagavan. I understood about the Maya Shakti, the Tatasta Shakti, the, the Sarup Shakti, the relationship, Sambanda, between the Jiva and Maya, between Maya and Bhagavan, all these things they put in place for me. And he says... This is the kind of knowledge by which one can go to him. Yenagat shanti tatpadam. The text says, 
This is the, by this kind of knowledge people go to him. And what happens when they go to him? They never come back. They never come back from there. Going there, they never return. So this is an important uh, knowledge, very helpful for our bhakti. We should not shy away from using our intelligence to its fullest measure and learning Gaudiya Siddhanta. That will make uh, give us more eligibility to tread the path, make it more difficult for us to to uh, forego the, the practice and so forth. Therefore, we have these sessions morning and evening to corner us. Something like that. Any question? Yes. Um, you mentioned Krishna's killing of the demons, how the demons were, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but like he gave liberation to Krishna, Kamsa, and to the point where they became great devotees. Did some of the demons representing Brahman or his body or different things. I was just wondering if maybe you could comment on that because it seems like sometimes, you know, he does one thing to one demon and another to another demon. Because Krishna in Vrindavan is in a different mood. Krishna in Vrindavan has prema madurdya. When he goes to Mathura, Hmm. That prema madhurya is not fading, hmm. and therefore, or when he goes to Hastinapur or Dwarka, so forth, more so. Therefore, you find, for example, in the Gita, when Krishna shows his godhood to Arjuna, Krishna, Arjuna feels nervous and starts offering prayers to him and says, "Oh, I." I dealt with you in such friendly terms. We sat in the same bed. I joked about you uh, and so forth. That must have been appropriate. Please forgive me and so forth. But that would never happen to a coward friend in Vrindavan. Therefore, for the examples there, when Krishna's lifting Govardhan Hill with his hand, what are the cowards doing? They aren't going, oh my God, I was just wrestling with you and here you're showing that you're lifting up the whole Govardhan Hill. No, they're holding their sticks up to help him. Hmm? So when they see displays of Aishvarya, this is knowledge hmm, of his godhood, it only augments their prema. It never causes it to recede. But when you move, when Krishna moves outside of Vrindavan to Mathura, we see a different situation. For example, Vasudeva and Devaki. Hmm. They had not seen him. He, he's their son. Hmm. They were being reunited, but he just killed Kamsa, which was a huge manifestation of Aishvarya. Because every demon that Krishna killed was under the rule of Kamsa, so to kill him was just unbelievable. And just he just kind of scared him to death. Hmm? <laughs> just kind of, and then he died. Something like that. Couldn't punch his own relatives, after all. <laughs> but um, after that, then he then he wanted to enjoy Vatsali Rasa with his parents, but they were like in awe and reverence, so he had to go calm down so that he could, they would again, their praying hmm, would rise to the top and the knowledge of his godhood would recede to the background. So their love is not powerful enough, in a sense, to cause that Aishvarya to keep it in the, in, in the background. Hmm. So therefore, when Krishna is killing demons in, in Dwarka and Singapore and so for there he's sometimes manifesting forearms and he has different types of devotees, he's establishing dharma and so forth. This is not what he's doing in Vrindavan. Vrindavan he's playing a flute. Hmm? Even it's said that the demons that he kills, it's the Vishnu in him that kills them. Hmm? Of course, it's true that he killed some demons in Vrindavan too, like Agasura and so forth, and he didn't give them Rasa and so forth. So, um, in, in 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 that situation, then uh, a charges tend to say, "Well, 
the Vishnu in him is doing that. Hmm? He's too young <laughs> to be a warrior and killed himself. It fears us that there's the Vishnu in him. That's one explanation. Otherwise, hmm, and sometimes it is said, well, it's said in Srimad Bhagavatam that in a chapter describing the season of autumn, mm-hmm. it is said there that sometimes the water, in the rainy season, water is always flowing in the mountains. But in the autumn season, which follows, which are the last two months of the Chaturmasya, sometimes it flows from the mountain and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And and then the example is given. So the sages... Sometimes they give mercy, sometimes they don't. Hmm. Hmm. His own sweet will. Yeah, yadvichaya. Out of their own sweet will, who can <laughs> make sense of out of that. Maybe if you could trace it out, you could make some sense, but it's better described as out of their own sweet will. So... I think that is that then the definition of Lila. And that's why he says Lila, right? Lila is his own sweet will, there's no doubt about that. No? You can't of course, there's the other argument too that every soul has a destiny. Mm-hmm. So when they're in touch with Bhakti or Krishna, they get different results based on their destiny. That's another way to look at that. Hmm? Every soul is such it and other, but everyone is still different. Something different about them, so that when they touch with bhakti, they react in different ways. Like grapes, like sugar cane, like pineapples, like mangoes. If you pour <laughs> water in them, they all develop sweetness, but it's all a little bit different. Hmm. Something like that. It's an argument in Vedanta Sutra to this effect also, that that all the souls are the same. And the sutra says, no, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. So the argument is that there's a difference between the jivas and Bhagwan. There's one eternal consciousness, and then there's the plural eternal consciousness. So to further that argument, the the Pūvapakshan, the, 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 uh, the uh, arguer says, well, they may be different from Bhagavan, but they're all the same. Hmm? And their difference is only superficial. The difference is only superficial based on the environment, um, based on karma. And the sutra says, no, it's not based on the environment. It's, in, it's inherent. They're inherently different. If they weren't inherently different, then they would all respond the same way karmically mm-hmm. also. They're all inherently different in some way. Very interesting. So it's you know, the idea then again, well, everyone serves Bhagavan according to how he wants to accept service from them. And he all reveals that in due course of time by bringing us to a particular group, parampara, and so on. And that's his sweet will. It makes sense from him, from his perspective. It doesn't have to make sense from ours. We have to give his perspective. Hmm. You may think, wow, some some souls are going to go to Vaikuntha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And they're going to be happy as anything there. Mm-hmm. And if you try to stick them into Vrindavan, they wouldn't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, they argue against it. <laughs> they argue against Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. In Vaikuntha, if you went there to say, Krishna's the source of Narayan, they'd drum you out of the place. <laughs> <laughs> Apasadanta, bending back to the material world. Go for Exactly, yeah. Therefore, Narada told him, shh, up here you can't talk like that. You have to move on from here. Hmm? And their vision is perfect. Hmm? There is that Gopal manifestation of Narayan also. Hmm? But then there is Krishna source of nine. So it's all perfect from Krishna's point of view. So that's another way to think about it. He gives them what he 
what he wants to give them and, and takes from them what he wants. And, you know, it's like, okay, I'm in charge and I want to enjoy and there's a lot of different ways I want to enjoy, so different people for different purposes. That's some way to understand it. Anything else? Yes. Uh, it seems like in the Leela, Krishna suffers, you know, in the same way that a human suffers. So how, suffers. So how can he be oblivious to to our suffering? You know, like in Donald Rastafari, I remember hearing a talk where he's saying he was rubbing his hands with both eyes because he was actually crying. He was actually afraid of his mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, that's the suffering of Prem that we heard about this morning. Hmm? It does look similar, but it's quite uh, quite different at the same time. It looks similar, and, but um, even those pangs within Prem, if you will, are blissful. Therefore, by it, Bishop Jalahoy it looks painful on the outside. It's blissful on the inside. I mean, we're hearing about that. We're hearing about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is weeping, weeping, and we're not running away from it. We're going after it. So we wouldn't be running after it if we thought it was the same kind of weeping and, and mm-hmm. anguish that we feel materially when we become attached to something and we can't have it. Mm-hmm. So there is some similarity, but it's very different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess you could say it's not that Krishna doesn't have compassion. He has an agency for it that more readily dispenses it. Hmm. What else? Anything else? Okay. Grantarasya, Bhagavatam, Pichyaya. Yeah. 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 Ye